Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. Good afternoon, everyone. Nice to be together again. We are, of course, at the end of week three in the count of the Feast of Weeks. Day 21 ends today. As Dylan mentioned, 29 days until the Feast of Pentecost. I'd like to go to Acts chapter 1, where Andrew read from, and begin there today. Acts chapter 1, which we studied in the Bible studies not that long ago. Luke's account. of the acts of the Holy Spirit after the death, resurrection, and ascension of our Savior that was sung about, our wonderful, merciful Savior. Thank you, Brother Ray, for that beautiful piece of music. We'll pick up the account in verse 4 of Acts chapter 1. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This, of course, is an interesting exchange here between Christ and the 11 apostles. And we see back in verse 2, that is who this conversation is with. He being taken up after the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. And obviously Judas was no longer part of this group. For years, we have read over this part. For years, I have read over this part. Maybe I'll say that. To get to the rest of the passage, as we work through Acts and into the prelude to Pentecost, which then culminates in Acts chapter 2 with Peter's sermon at Pentecost. But let's step back and see verse 5 and notice Christ's command. His command to wait for the promise of the Father, not many days from now. And we see that. We'll read that again. Verse 4 and 5. But to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So his command, they were all excited to get going, to get out and do what they needed to do. And he, had to, he told them, You need to wait not many days from now. Absence of context, just if that was pulled out and you just had Acts, 4, Acts 1 verses 4 to 8 in front of you and you were part of this group, what would your first question be? Wait for the promise of the Father not many days from now. What, would, what question would come to mind? When? When? When is that going to be? How long do we have to wait? We've got things to do. We'll stay because you're telling us to wait, but how long, how long do we have to do that? 
Notice, when we read further, verse 7, verse 6 and 7, they asked, will you at this time, God, restore the kingdom to Israel? Will you at this time? And Christ's response was, it is not for you to know when I am coming back, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. Isn't it curious for all of their questions, wondering if this is the time that that the kingdom would come? They didn't ask when the Holy Spirit would be received. The very curious group, always asking questions. And they didn't ask when. Christ said, not many days from now. That's pretty vague to me. That's not specific enough for me. If we were to say, listen, Passover is coming soon. And be ready. Well, when are we gathering for Passover? Or when are we gathering for Pentecost? Listen, Pentecost is coming. We don't. It's just coming soon. Just be ready. We'll tell you when it's coming. If you're, if you're being told to wait, I want to know when. Yet they didn't ask. They asked about everything else. Are you, are you restoring the kingdom now? Are you coming back now? They didn't ask about when the Holy Spirit would come. We have the advantage of looking back into this and knowing that it came on the day of Pentecost. That's our context. We're looking back and go, well, it was coming on the day of Pentecost. But why weren't they curious? Why weren't they curious as to when the Holy Spirit was coming? Because they were already counting. They were in the midst of a 50-day count, just like we are. We are at day 21, at the end of week 3, of a count that started three weeks ago. And as generations of Israelites, generations of God's people had been doing for hundreds of years at this time of year, symbols were changing. Symbols had changed for Passover. Evidently, they were going to change for Pentecost. But the requirement to count certainly had not. Their focus was on day 50. So when Christ said, wait for when the Holy Spirit is going to come, it was a logical assumption that it would come on day 50. They didn't even ask. They asked about everything else, but they didn't have to ask when he said to wait. I asked you what would be the first question, and I heard responses from from here. When? That's what we would have asked. They didn't have to ask. Because when Christ said, not many days from now, every day they woke up, and they checked off in their mind, or on a piece of paper, or whatever they did, They counted. They knew they were at day 21. We know we have 29 more days to Pentecost. Tomorrow, it'll be 28. Monday, it'll be 27. They didn't have to ask. This time of year, known as the Feast of Weeks, is introduced to God's people back in Leviticus 23. Let's just go back there. We've looked at it a number of different angles over the last few years. We're all the... Other festivals are mentioned to Israel. Obviously, this isn't the first place that it's mentioned, but it is where it is consolidated for them. In Leviticus 23. It's only been in the last few years that we as a congregation have paid the Feast of Weeks any mind. Growing up in a Sabbath-keeping church, I never really heard of the Feast of Weeks being spoken about. Or it was, it was a synonym for the Feast of Pentecost, the 50th day. But we see here, in Leviticus 23, verse 15, 
You shall count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be completed. Count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall offer a new grain offering to the Lord. Count for yourselves, God says, both weeks, both complete weeks and days. Each day and each week you must count. God's people were to know where they were in the count, culminating in the high day called Pentecost. They were learning here at this time when Leviticus 23 occurred, when that that time of history happened. They were learning of God's worship system here in their first year of wandering. But they had already been through their first 50-day period they now knew as the Feast of Weeks. They didn't know it at the time, but they had already been through their first Feast of Weeks. So today as we are now through three of seven weeks, 21, almost through 21 of 50 days, and before our focus over the next few weeks turns to topics like death and resurrection and the lead up into Pentecost for our coming evangelism events, I'd like to pause today and look back on Israel's first Feast of Weeks, the one they didn't know they were really going through. But let's look at what they went through. And let's look at what God was teaching them as they departed Egypt and made their way to Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments and then continue on their journey. And then let's ask ourselves, are there connections we can make to the followers of Christ in the lead-up to the powerful Feast of Pentecost when the church came to life and the Holy Spirit descended upon them? That's what we're going to do this afternoon. Let's go back as we start to Exodus 13. Exodus 13. We're going to start with God taking them into the wilderness. Verse 17 is where we'll start. It came to pass... When Pharaoh had let the people go, that God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea, and the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. So we see here, as we know, and we, as, again, we've got the advantage of looking back in history, back at the, the narrative of the Bible here, and we know what happened. God's intention from the very start was to bring them straight into the wilderness. Straight into the wilderness. Was his intent for them to wander for 40 years? Was his intent for them to wander for 40 years? His intent was to bring them straight out into the wilderness. And from our vantage point, again, looking back on all that we have here, we see what, what took place. Let's go to Numbers 13. Let's go to Numbers 13. We know they wandered for 40 years. And we know why. The story of why they wandered for 40 years, we'll pick up in, verse, in chapter 13 of the book of Numbers. 
And again, we won't have time to go too deep into all of these stories. But we're going to pick up in verse 31, the story of the 12 spies that were sent into Canaan. Verse 31, but the men who had gone up with him, so there were Joshua, Caleb, and 10 other men. We know Joshua and Caleb came back and said, let's go. In fact, verse 30 tells us, Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. This was the promised land they were talking about. It was right there. And Joshua and Caleb said, let's go. God, God, will, God will see to our safety. Let's go take it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land, which they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak, came from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. So all the voices, continuing on in chapter 14, so all the voices lifted up their voice, all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried. And the people wept at night. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron and the whole congregation and said to them, if we had only died in the land of Egypt, or if we only had died in this wilderness, why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword? Why has God brought us this far? It's right there. And now he's made it impossible for us to go there. He should have just let us die in Egypt or died over this last year. Why has the Lord brought us to the land to fall by the sword, that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to just turn around and go back to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. For all that they had been through, their faithlessness is coming to the fore here. We have Joshua and Caleb reporting back to Moses that this promised land that they can see, it's right there. Let's just, let's just go take it. God will be there for us. Everyone else is saying, wow, these guys are too big. They're, they're bigger than God can handle. They're bigger than God can handle. We just look like grasshoppers. What faithlessness. What faithlessness. Drop down to verse 20 in chapter 14. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word, but truly as I live... All the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, because all these men who have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have put me to the test now these ten times, all they do is whine and complain and test. And I'm merciful and patient. You know what? They certainly shall not see the land which I swore to their fathers. You see what they can see right there? That's as close as they're going to get. They're not going to touch that land. I've, I've, they've tested me enough. Nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him and has followed me fully, has followed me fully, I will bring into the land where he went and his descendants shall inherit it. Now the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwell in the valley tomorrow, turn and move out into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. You know what? You're done. Turn around and go. That's as close as you're going to get. Now, for time, 
Let's go back to, hold your place there because we're coming back to it. Go back to Numbers chapter 10. For context and and for setting, let's look at verse 11 really quickly. It came to pass on the 20th day of the second month in the second year. So here's where we are in terms of timing. This is the following year, just after the second Passover in year two. In the middle of these Feast of Weeks, granted this is year two, not their first Feast of Weeks. This is their second Feast of Weeks. But this story here that we're looking at here is in year two. They've got 38, they, unbeknownst to them, they now have 38 long years ahead of them. Back to Numbers 14, verse 26. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, How long shall I hear this evil congregation who complain against me? I have heard the complaints which the children of Israel make against me. Say to them, as I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will do to you. And listen to, listen to his anger and his, his frustration. That your carcasses, the carcasses of you who have complained, imagine at the end of it that God simply refers to you as a carcass. The carcasses of you who have complained against me shall fall in this wilderness. All of you who were numbered according to your entire number from 20 years old and above, except for Caleb, the son of Jephunneh and Joshua, the son of Nun, who shall by no means, you shall no, by no means enter the land, which I swore I would make you dwell it. So all of this wandering for this year and year and a couple of months has now gone for naught because of all that they're whining and they're complaining. Let's go back to chapter 13. Just one chapter previous. And see what God said to Moses in verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel, from each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man, everyone a leader among them. He was prepared to give them the promised land in year two. In year two, he was prepared to give them the promised land. So this, this notion that God sent them into the wilderness to wander for 40 years is not entirely accurate. God sent them into the wilderness with the intent of giving them the promised land 13 months after the first Passover. That was, that was his intent. Let's go to Numbers 32. The fact that they wandered for 40 years, that's not on God. That was not on God. Numbers 32. Again, as they're settling... They're now on the east side of the Jordan. Verse 5, talking specifically to the tribe of Reuben, the tribe of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, who had settled on the east side of the Jordan and found good land. And all that's the, the story behind that is interesting of itself. We don't have too much. We don't have the time to go into detail here. Therefore, they said, if we have found favor in your sight... Let this land be given to your servants as a possession. Don't take us over the Jordan. We know 
that you have a full intent of giving us that land. We like it here. We like this side of the Jordan. If it, if it's in your, if it falls in your favor, can we just stay here? Can we just stay here? And Moses said to the children of Gad and to the children of Reuben, Shall your brethren go to war while you sit here? Why will you discourage the heart of the children of Israel from going over into the land which the Lord has given them? I'm going to give you this land. It's going to be rough. It's going to be tough. You're going to have to fight for it. But can you really sit there and let your... We'll leave you here. And as the story unfolds, you'll note, and we won't go into that today, that that those those two tribes and the half-tribe of Manasseh ended up uh, settling on the east side of the Jordan. But verse 8, thus your fathers did... Your fathers refused to fight. And that's why we we were wandering for 40 years. When I sent them away from Kadesh Barnea to see the land, for when they went up to the valley of Eskal and saw the land, they discouraged the heart of the children of Israel so that they did not go into the land which the Lord had given them. Remember, we just read Joshua and Caleb wanted to go. And the other ten discouraged the entire nation. No No one wanted to budge. And Moses recalls that and said, this, this has already happened. Your fathers already did this. So the Lord's anger was aroused on that day, verse 10, and he swore an oath, saying, Surely none of the men who came up from Egypt from 20 years and above shall see the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because they have not wholly followed me, except Caleb the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, and Joshua the son of Nun, for they have wholly followed the Lord. So the, the Lord's anger was aroused against Israel, and he made them wander in the wilderness for 40 years until all the generation that had done evil in the sight of the Lord was gone. East of the Jordan was not the promised land. It wasn't. So now they had to wander for 38 years because they refused to go with their brothers and fight for the promised land. Let's go back to Exodus 13. Pick up where we left off. We saw in year two that God had brought them to the precipice of the promised land. And we're told that's when the spies were told to go over, scout it out, and we'll prepare to take this land that God was going to give them. Let's go back to verse 17 and 18. It came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. He brought them into the wilderness. The original purpose of the wilderness was to remove the distractions from around them so their sole focus could be on God. So that they wouldn't be worried about their enemies and about this and about that. He brought them in straight out into the wilderness so he could have their full attention. And how do we know this? Because the very next thing he did in verse 20, they took their journey from Sukkoth and camped in Etham at the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so as to go by day and night. And he did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. He brought them right out into the wilderness and then created something for them to follow and to focus on. 
and we know we've done we've gone into that a little bit before when the cloud moved they got up and moved when the cloud or the pillar stopped fire stopped they stopped out into the wilderness so there there would be no distractions so they could focus on god let's go to acts chapter 1 Acts chapter 1. Verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem, to the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room, where they were staying, Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And then ultimately, with about 120 of them that they were with. What we see here, in the time between this, in, during this 50-day period, is we see here a period of intense isolation and preparation for the leaders of the New Testament church in advance of the power that would come to them at the end of these 50 days. So much like God took Israel out into the wilderness so there would be no distractions and gave them something to focus on so they could learn about him, and we're going to continue to look, see what they learned about him, His intent wasn't to kill them in the wilderness. That was a punishment for their choice so that he could continue to to save their children. His intent was to bring them out into the wilderness, focus on him, and then a year later, his intent was to give them the promised land if they only fought for it. And here, as the New Testament church was about to to be born, we see an intense period of isolation and preparation for their leaders in advance of the Feast of Pentecost. But God's intent and lesson here was for them not to get distracted. This period of time between Passover, the Feast of Love and Pentecost, there was work to be done for Israel and for the church. Now let's go back to Exodus 14. We'll move on in the story of the first feast of weeks Exodus 14 again skipping through some of the descriptive parts but definitely encourage you to read the full text on your own we come to the Red Sea crossing verse 10 is where we're going to pick it up When Pharaoh, verse chapter 14 of Exodus, verse 10, when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. And they said to Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, this is a familiar refrain here, because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word? that we told you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. 
standing around, complaining about the plight they found themselves in. Not reaching out in faith. Not banking on the faith that actually got them this far. But crying out in complaint to God. There's a difference between asking for help and and crying out in complaint. And here, they were just moaning and whining about their plight. They they weren't reaching out to their God uh, to, to save them in faith, to faithfully save them. They were complaining about the plight that they found themselves in. Let's go back to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. In case you hadn't figured it out, you might want to provide a couple of markers for yourselves. I'll let you figure out where to put your markers. Acts chapter 1, verse 6. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Okay. Surely now's the time. We thought it was before. We've heard these prophecies about the Messiah coming to restore the the kingdom of Israel. And you threw us off with this death thing. But now we see, we get it, you're God. You've, you've, you've been resurrected. Now's the time, right? Look at how, how bad the Romans are treating us. Look at what we find ourselves in. Surely now you'll restore the kingdom of Israel. Now must be the time. Look at how oppressive the Romans are to us. This is what was on the minds of everybody. Restoring their power. Because that's what this, this restoration of the kingdom of Israel was what they had read about throughout all of the prophets. Let's go back to Luke 24. Luke 24. We come upon these two men that were walking back to Emmaus after witnessing all that they had witnessed the crucifixion of Christ. We'll pick it up in verse 18. Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping, we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Again, he is, and he was, but they didn't understand the process. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things have happened. It's been three days, and he hasn't lived up to his promise. We thought he was restoring the kingdom. That's what we, that was our hope. Now we're hopeless. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But they didn't see him. 
They didn't see him. Sadness and despair when, were upon them when things didn't go the way they thought it was going to go. They thought this Messiah had come to save them, and then he died. He was crucified. And now they're, it's been three days. It's, it's been a whole three days, and he hasn't, he, he's, he's not come back. Verse 25, then he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. You've had the answers in front of you your whole lives. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Have you not been paying attention? I know what you wanted, but what was going to happen has always been in front of you. But you, you let your desires and your wants cloud what was actually going to happen. Back to Exodus 14. Much like those folks, like the apostles, like Cleopas and several others, they were distraught with the thought that this was not the restoration of the kingdom of Israel. Here, back to the children of Israel. They thought they were up against it. Moses said to the people in verse 13, Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. Moses' lesson here of faith was a good one. Stand still and watch God. Watch what God's going to do. But it was incomplete. It was incomplete. The Lord said to Moses, why are you crying to me? Tell the children of Israel to get moving, to get up and move forward. Lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And indeed, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians and they're going to follow them. So I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, his chariots and his horsemen. And then the Egyptians, never mind you, never mind all of the, the children of Israel, the Egyptians are going to know that I am God, that I am Yahweh, when I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. And the angel of God who went before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud went before them and stood behind them. So it came from behind, between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Thus it was a cloud and darkness to the one, and it gave light by night to the other, so that the one did not come near the other at all. True faith requires action. Moses, a good lesson. Stand still and watch what God's going to do. But it was incomplete. God said, why are you standing still? The, the, your salvation is that way. Get up and get moving. Let's go back to Acts 1.
verse 9. Now, when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, so there they are watching their Savior, who is to restore the kingdom to Israel, disappear into the clouds. And he was gone. Two men stood by them in white apparel and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into the heavens? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Why are you just standing around looking up? Why are you standing there looking out over the Red Sea? And why are you standing, up, standing there looking up? True faith requires action. There is a time to stand. There is a time to stand and behold the plan, power, and glory of God. But then there's a time to stop standing and start doing. Why do you stand looking up? He's coming back the same way he left. And if you go back into your prophets, you'll see that very thing written there for you. James tells us, let's take time to go to James 2. Because as we build our faith... Faith is not just a feeling of the heart. James tells us in verse 14 of chapter 2, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but doesn't have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you, there's the Red Sea, I, I don't know what I'm going to do, or... There he goes, and I thought he was going to save us. Depart in peace and be warmed. Good luck. Good luck. I'm sorry you're so destitute. May God provide you with someone to care for you. But do not give them the things which are needed for the body. What does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it doesn't have works, is dead. Someone, someone will say, you have faiths and I have, I have works. You show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. We prove our faith in God by answering his call to action. And that was what God was telling Israel through Moses. What are you standing there for? Do you not know I'll take care of you? I've brought you this far. Dip your toe in the water and get moving. Let's go back to Exodus 15. Pick up the story of Israel in Exodus 15. They are now safely on the other side of the Red Sea. And what an impact this had on them. We see here, verse 1, Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord. And now they just were so full of joy, so full of happiness that he saved them, that they broke out into song. Read through the song when you have time. And it's a recap of events that proved God's power to them. They were simply putting to music 
all that they had felt inside. Verse 2, we won't, we won't read the whole thing. Verse 2, the Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. He is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Verse 6, your right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, has dashed the enemy in pieces, and the greatness of your excellence. You have overthrown those who, ro- and w- uh, who, overthrown those who rose against you. Verse 11, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Amongst all of these gods that Egypt and the other nations worship, there's none like you, Yahweh. Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises and doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, and the earth swallowed them. You in your mercy have led forth the people whom you have redeemed, and you have guided them in your strength to your holy habitation. Who triumphed? Down to verse 21. And Miriam answered them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. What was their reaction here? Who triumphed? Not us. Yahweh triumphed. The Lord God of Israel is triumphant over our enemies. And we shall praise him. Take time to reflect on all that God has done for you, for us, for his people, through Christ our Savior. And that's where they were at this point in the the Feast of Weeks. That you're here today. That you partook of Passover as a member of his covenant people. That very fact deserves our honor and praise. He deserves our honor, our praise, our adulation, our song, our worship, Just because we're sitting here. And here, Israel learned that. Safely on the other side, they were full of glory and praise. There is a time to take time to praise your Savior. Amongst all that we have to do, amongst all the the lessons we're learning, to not be distracted, to stay focused, to be busy. Get busy working for God. Don't just stand around, but get busy. Take time to praise your God and your Savior for the very fact that you are here and can do that. Let's go to Luke 24. Luke 24. Again, during the same time period, this Feast of Weeks, after the death of our Savior, Luke 24. Verse 49, again, Luke, who also wrote Acts, his version here in part one of his account of Theophilus, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you endued with power from on high. And then we all know that he begins his second letter to Theophilus, his second account with this very same story, which is a nice linkage between the two Accounts. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Now it came to pass while he blessed them that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. So 
we see here two different accounts by Luke, which kind of makes sense when we understand the purposes for his two accounts. Here in part one, as Luke looked back on Christ's earthly ministry and his sacrifice, we see the, he includes the part of this story where they just simply felt moved to worship while he was still with them and while he was departing. departing. And they were just so moved that they returned to Jerusalem with great joy and continued to praise and exalt him in worship. We saw earlier in part two where he included the admonition from what appears to be angels to get busy. And that would be appropriate for this inclusion in his letter to, to his second letter to Theophilus in the book of Acts, which focused on the work of the Holy Spirit through the church after his death. So part one here, he includes the part about praising and worshiping our Savior for all that he did for us. Part two, the same story, he includes this part about getting to work because that was going to be the focus of the church. But amongst all that we do, it is good to take time to praise our Savior simply because he's our Savior and all that he has done for us individually and as a people. Let's go back to Exodus 15. The last part of chapter 15 and then the next two chapters all deal with their concern for sustenance, for water, and for food. We certainly don't have time to go through it all. Let's pick up a few verses. Beginning in verse 22 of chapter 15. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. Then they went into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Now when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Marah. And the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? What have you done to us now? What are we going to drink? There is, we're in the desert, and there's nothing to drink. Water is our basic, basic staple of our existence. We know that God, amongst all that he has, all that he has done, provided them with water. We see that in verse 27. They came to Elam where there were 12 wells of water and 70 palm trees. So they camped there by the waters. God provides the water. Exodus 16. They journeyed from Elam. And the congregation of the children of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they departed from the land of Egypt. The whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat and we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. What are you, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to, well, I provided water, but provided salvation out of Egypt. We provided salvation through the Red Sea. I provided water, still complaints. Verse 4, the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. Okay? I'm going to provide you with bread. Don't worry about the water. I've got it. Don't worry about food. I've got it. I'll provide you with bread. Just bread? 
That's it. That's it. Just bread and just water. Verse 11. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, I've heard the complaints of the children of Israel. Speak to them saying, at twilight you shall eat meat. And in the morning you shall be filled with bread. And you'll know that I am the Lord your God. Okay, you want meat? I'll give you meat. He provides quail. Chapter 17. Then all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped in Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. I would hope our reaction would be, God will wait for the water. Not, evidently not. And probably our reaction probably would have been the same. Therefore, the people contended with Moses and said, give us water that we may drink. We're thirsty again. Where's our water? Moses said to them, why do you contend with me and why do you tempt the Lord? The people thirsted here, thirsted there for water and the people complained against Moses and said, why is it you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord saying, what am I going to do with these people? What am I going to do? They're almost ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, go before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand your your rod with which you struck the river and go. And I will provide water. I get it. For now, we're just going to give them these things to show them that I am God. Still, we see this clear lack of faith, how they could... But we were there too. We, we, at some point in our life, we struggled with faith too. And here, there's still a clear lack of faith in God as their provider, despite all that they had seen, despite all that they had been through. And this is on the backside of this day of worship after they had gotten through the Red Sea. One day of worship followed by several days of complaints about their plight. Hopefully, This is not where we find ourselves in. Coming for one day of worship and then spending six days complaining about our plight. Hopefully, this is not something we find ourselves doing. Following up a day of worship and spiritual rejuvenation by returning to our old ways at home. We skipped over some verses in Acts for a reason. Let's go back to them now. God provided. God will provide but it requires obedience. Otherwise, we're on our own. Otherwise, we're on our own. Exodus 15, verse 26, verse 25. So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, and when he made it cast, and when he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. And there he made a statute and an ordinance for them, and there he tested them. And said, if you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. I'm going to provide water, and I will continue to be your source of sustenance. But you must obey. You must obey. Exodus 16, verse 4. The Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. 
And the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. And it shall be on the sixth day that they shall prepare what they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. I'm going to provide food for you, but there's a, it's, there's a way to see if you're going to listen to what I'm going to say, what I have to say. Verse 27, now it happened that some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather, and they found none. We're hungry again. You told us you would provide food. No, I told you I would provide food on days one through six. I'll provide you twice the amount on day six, and you gather it for day seven. That's why there's no food. But you didn't provide food. Yes, I did, yesterday. And the Lord said to Moses, How long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, for the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, he gives you the sixth day bread for two days. Let every man remain in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. And the people rested on the seventh day. John 21. John 21. Simon Peter, verse 2. Thomas, the twin, Nathaniel of Cana, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. And Simon said, you know what? I'm going fishing. I'm going fishing. They said to him, so are we. We're going to come with you. They went out and immediately got into the boat. And remember, these were fishermen. This was their profession before they had started to follow Christ. And immediately they got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. These are professional fishermen who caught nothing. When the morning had come, Jesus stood on the shore, and yet the disciples didn't know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? They said, no. You know what? You're fishing on the wrong side of the boat. Pick it all up, throw it on the other side. We're professional fishermen here. What, what gives you, the net's right here. There's not going to be any more fish on the other side of the boat. The boat's only this wide. So they cast. And now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. It is the Lord. God will take care of your needs. As long as you obey him, pick up the net, throw it on the other side. It may not look like much. It may not look like much of a difference. But if God says so, he'll prove it to you on this side of the boat. Verse 9. And as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have caught. He invited them to bring more fish, but there was already fish on the grill. Simon Peter went up and dragged the the net to land full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. God will take care of our needs. We just need to obey him and then get busy. 
Christ didn't move the net to the other side of the boat. He told them to. They had to prove their faith by putting it on the other side of the boat. Exodus 17. Exodus 17. Sometimes we have to stand up for God and let him fight through us. We see here Israel was called to work. Now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, choose us some men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let his hand down, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his sides, one on one side, supported his hands, one on one side, the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people, with the edge of the sword. The Lord said to Moses, Write this for a memorial in the book, and recount it in the hearing of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. I said what I was going to do. You did what I said. You worked together. And now I just did and proved to you what I said I was going to do. And Moses built an altar and called its name, The Lord is my banner, or Yahweh Nissi. For he said, because the Lord has sworn, because God said he would do it, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Sometimes we have to stand up for God and let him fight through us. Let's go back to John 21. And in doing so, take care of each other as we're going through this. And we see this lesson Christ gives to Peter and the remaining disciples. And we won't take time to read through verses 15 through 17, but we know the story. After they'd eaten breakfast, Christ asked Peter if he loved him. And three times. And three times the answer was, if you love me, take care of my people. Feed my sheep. Then, verse 18, most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me, follow me. Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved who had also leaned on his breast at supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Peter, seeing him, referring to John, said to Jesus, what about John? Jesus said to him, if I will that he remain till I come, what is his concern of that is yours? You follow me. You follow the cloud. You follow the pillar of fire. You keep your eyes on me. And this saying went out amongst the brethren that this, this disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, only that if 
His will was that he would remain till he comes. What is that to you? Follow me, whatever I ask of you. Even if it looks like I'm going to lead you into the wilderness. That's what he was telling Peter. Even if it means you're going to go through trials, you're going to go through tough times, and it looks like, what has he gotten me into? I'm surrounded by people that want to hurt me, that people that want to do me in, that people that don't want to look after me. You follow me. Much like he told the children of Israel and told Moses, listen, get up and go fight Amalek. It's just a few of us. Go. Just pick some guys and go. It's not going to be easy, but it will take faith, obedience, and teamwork. Let's go back to Luke 10. Luke 10. Remind ourselves what we've been reading through in the Bible study. Verse, Luke 10, verse 1. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he, he himself was about to go. Then he said to them, the harvest is truly is great. But the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his field. Go your way. Behold, I send you as lambs among wolves. He was sending, telling them, telling Israel, telling the New Testament church, I'm going to be sending you into some tough times, but I'm not sending you by yourself. You're going to be together. We're going to work together at this, and I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. It's not going to be easy, but it will take faith, obedience, and being unified with each other. Let's go back to Exodus 18. Moses' father-in-law Jethro comes to him. And tells him that there's a lot of work to be done. And you're not going to be able to do it by yourself. You've done a lot so far, but the job is just going to grow. And you can't do it all by yourself. So Moses, verse 17, again, jumping into the story. Moses' father-in-law said to him, The thing that you do is not good. Both you and these people who are with you will surely wear yourselves out. For this thing is too much for you. You are not able to perform it by yourself. Listen now to my voice. I will give you counsel, and God will be with you. Stand before God, stand before God for the people, so that you may bring the difficulties to God. And you shall teach them the statutes and the laws, and show them the way in which they must walk and the work they must do. Moreover, you shall select from all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. There's a lot of them here, and you can't do this by yourself. And besides that, the job I have for you, Moses, is going to interfere with everything else that they need taken care of. So select trustworthy people and spread some of the work out so that the people are served, God is glorified, and you can still do your job. Verse 22, and let them judge the people at all times. Then it will be that every great matter 
they shall bring to you. But every small matter they will they shall, they themselves shall judge. So it will be easier for you when they will bear for they will bear the burden with you. And if you do this thing and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure. And all this people will go to their place in peace. Let them handle stuff that you don't need to be involved in. Let them do their let them do a job so you can do yours. There's a lot of work to do, and he could not do it all by himself. Let's go back to Acts chapter 1. Verse 21. Therefore, of these men who've accompanied us all the time that the, Lord, that, the, that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. And they proposed two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, O Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen to take part in this ministry and apostleship, from which Judas, by transgression, fell, that he might go to his place. And they cast lots, and then the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. So again, we saw the example in Luke 10 of them being sent two by two. There's strength in numbers. There's strength in plurality. Here in our group, we have a plurality of leadership. But being sent two by two required another man to be selected, to be numbered among the 11. Now, on a side note, a full reading of Scripture, and this is certainly something we can chat about later, a full reading of Scripture would tell me, as I'm reading Scripture, this is my interpretation, that the special office of apostle is, is reserved for the 12 and includes Paul, not Matthias. There's an, to me, there's an office of an apostle, and they were those who witnessed the, the resurrection of Christ, and were leaders of the church. And we can see that when you go further on into Revelation, where uh, there's a, an apostle going to lead each, be the head of each of the tribes of Israel. Did Matthias fall in here, or was it Paul? Christ didn't pick Matthias. Christ, picked, Christ chose Paul. We know Paul was an apostle, even if in Paul's eyes he was the least of all the apostles. But that doesn't mean that Matthias didn't do good work. And a way to look at this is that the original meaning of apostle, the original meaning, was one who was sent forth with a job to do. And Matthias was sent forth with a job to do. It also turned into an office called apostle, of which there were 12. 11, and in my opinion, Paul. But Matthias was sent forth, much like the office of deacon was based on the Greek word diakonos, which was servant. And in Scripture, we see Christ being described as diakonos. We see Paul being described as diakonos. And we see Phoebe being described as diakonos. That doesn't mean they were in the office of deacon. They were performing the function of a servant. And here we see Matthias joining the gang, being numbered with the 11 apostles, because there was a, a concept here of being sent out two by two. And someone was going to be left. So they needed someone to add. So he was numbered with the apostles. But all that being said, the bottom line 
The team was built to fulfill Acts 1 and verse 8. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. The team was built for that, and the team needed one more guy. Much like Moses needed some help to build out his team, because there was going to be work to be done after Sinai. So Jethro helped Moses prepare his team to help lead them through the wilderness to apply the law they were about to receive at Sinai. And here, Matthias joined this team to help witness for Christ. And it was important that whoever was chosen was a witness because that was their job, was to witness his life, death, and resurrection. Back to Exodus 19. Before we close out this point about building the team for work that was to be done, let's look at chapter 19 and verse 7. Moses came and called for the elders of of the people and laid before them all these words which the Lord commanded them. Because there was work for them to do, to go and spread to those who under their purview what God was going to teach them. And we see this this teamwork and this team being put to work. Let's drop back now to chapter 19 and verse 1. In the third month, after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on the same day they came to the wilderness of Sinai. For when they had departed Rephidim, it come, had come to the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness. So Israel camped there before the mountain. Verse 10, the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes and let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set bounds for the people all around saying, take heed to yourselves that you do not go up to the mountain or touch its base. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. Verse 16, then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain. And the sound of the trumpet was very loud so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace And the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him by voice. Then the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai and on the top of the mountain. And the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up. The time had come to receive the law. The people were washed, they were cleaned, and they were ready to hear God give them his law. Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost, verse 1, had fully come, when they were no longer counting down to it, when they were no longer worried about what day or what week they were on, 
they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues and languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. The people were prepared. They were of one mind. And the day they had been counting down to had arrived. They were about to receive the long tarried for comforter, power to be witnesses of Christ, even to the ends of the earth. This 50-day time period between the wave sheaf offering and Pentecost has always had significant meaning, and the connections between Israel and the church are profound, as they should be, as they should be, since they are one and the same, the chosen covenant people of God. For us, it is a stark reminder on the heels of the joys of Passover that we still have a lot of work left to do in preparing the bride of Christ, ourselves, for the marriage feast of the Lamb. This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at cgiburlington.org.